we will not be taking off our t-shirts. Well, I, hey, no guarantees. Or our, or our Roll the boat, Jerem. I've never been to a, a, a party where I I didn't take my shirt off and didn't have a good time. Get in, Come yeah. on in, get in, yeah! Woo! Cougar Nation! This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Interviews and insight from this week in Cougar Sports. Every Saturday, only on BYU Radio. To lead off, here's the double coverage interview of the week. Our day is already going well because we got some football power index numbers. We're about to make it even better and welcome in one of our longtime friends to BYUSN. His name is David Nixon, former NFL and BYU linebacker standout. David, it is great to see your face amidst the pandemic madness. How are you and your family doing? We're doing great. Just uh, quarantine here and um, trying to stay safe, but uh, got my office set up, so I'm working here from home, and we're going, what, four weeks strong, five weeks strong now? I think we're on our fifth week, so, you know, it's, it's becoming the norm, which is not good. I want to get back to work and get back to uh, playing lots of golf. That, that'd be nice, and luckily, uh, golf courses are open a little bit, but I, I like your jersey in the background. That's like someone who's an author just putting their book behind them. That's, yeah, that's nice. Uh, this, this, this whole thing right here, uh, <laughs> You know, you know the best part about this, guys, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna show this to you. Oh, okay. oh, snap! He's yes, moving the camera. Moving Look at this. Wow. I love it. This is something that Big Kill. Can you see me now, sir? Still? Yes. You see? Uh huh. It just escaped. Anyways, it says Lindbacker. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and you played to '09. I thought you played to '08. Yeah, in the top of a year. So. <laughs> Would you play seven seasons? You could, no commas? I try to, to go back to Big Hill and get that fixed. We're in the works of doing that. Uh, you know, whatever. So just don't pay attention to the details. Just look at- <laughs> He's not busy right now. I mean, that can you do it right amazing. now? Becker. I mean, oh, yes. I, all those years, blood, sweat, tears, and I get Lindbacker in the wrong years. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Former standout linebacker David Nixon <laughs> with us on BYU Sports Nation. Hey, I want to get off topic just a little bit because uh, we already I, are. I saw a clip yesterday of the 2008 BYU Washington game in Seattle. Oh man, yeah. From uh, a Twitter account called at Bad Sports Refs. Oh, it's a great account. Everyone should follow. And it. they showed the Jake Locker play, David, uh, where he celebrates and throws the ball into the air, and then you guys in turn block a 35-yard extra point attempt to win the game. Was that the right? call in 2008 in Seattle um listen I, I I wasn't a fan of it because you felt bad for the guy because this was if you look at the time that was no there was no time remaining right um and so I think it was just pure celebration I don't think he's the type of guy to try to rub it in but I, I'm very confident we get in overtime we still beat him anyways but uh you know we blocked the extra point and I feel like that year I want to say we had like six or seven field goal blocks or extra points I mean we I include, I think the the year before that, yeah, the year before is when we had the, the UCLA win off the block, you know, field goal. And so that was something we kind of hung our hat on. So when they backed it up, we're ready to go. I mean, that was something that uh, we kind of become part of our identity was blocking kicks. And so, um, yeah, that was a wild game up there. I mean, at the time we didn't know they were that bad. I mean, they went over that year, uh, but Jake Locker, that guy was a beast. I remember trying to tackle him and he was, uh, he was no joke. Yeah. Why is that game even close? They went over. I mean, you're a 10 and three team that year. <laughs> hey, listen, having been on teams, I was with the Rams and we weren't very good two and 14. Um, I can say that when you start losing, it just, it just all goes downhill. It, it just compiles. People start losing interest in, in watching film. The coaching staff realizes they're probably gonna get fired. They stop preparing. 
it just snowballs <laughs> and it's, it's just bad all around. So I think that's probably the effect that hit them. David Nixon with us on BYU Sports Nation. Dave, thankfully we have some analytics brand new today from ESPN and the Football Power Index. And right now, BYU is going to face three top 30 teams, Minnesota at number 20, Utah at number 24, Stanford to close out the regular season at number 28. So with those three highest-ranked BYU opponents in mind, which upset is BYU football most likely to pull off in the 2020 season? You know, I actually look at that Stanford game at the end of the year, uh, and if BYU can stay healthy, which we haven't been able to stay healthy for years, um, and, and, and after Stanford's run the gauntlet of the Pac-12, I'm interested to see which team shows up and who's healthier. I think that's what it comes down to at that point. So uh, for me, it's it's who's healthier at the end of the season, who's clicking all cylinders. I mean, look at last season with BYU, struggled towards the end of the year, right? And this is a team that started to fall off at the end of the season and, and, and just really couldn't put it all together. And so can they rebound um, and, and knock off a Stanford team at their place to kind of finish the season? I think that's what we all want to see. We want to see a team that's consistent – uh, you know, we've seen, you know, glimpses of brilliance from this BYU team beating USC and beating Tennessee, but then you lose to the USFs and the Toledos. Can BYU get some consistency and finish the season? And, and, and uh, you know, even if BYU were to go 6-6, six and six, if there's some type of consistency where BYU wins the games they should and, frankly, loses the games they probably should as well, but there's some type of consistency that we know week in and week out what we can expect from this team, then I think fans can, can take a 6-6 six and six type season. But it's this roller coaster up and down, um, and I'm hoping that next year BYU, I should say this year, BYU can put it all together. And, and I think that Stanford game at the end of the year, hopefully by that time BYU's got it all together and, and can roll something out. I agree with you that BYU needs more consistency, but there's no way we'd accept a six and six season. We're not gonna, we're not gonna go. Yeah, we're sad. No way. We, it's eight plus, baby. That's the <laughs> that's, that's the minimum threshold, David, for a good season, in my opinion. Is you got to get to at least eight. Uh, listen, I, you're, you're preaching to the choir here. I, I, think, I think BYU has to put up eight wins at least. But I'm saying that if you win six and six, at least you can stomach it knowing you beat the teams you should beat, right? Well, um, let's I, talk about that. Because last year, BYU has three top 35 wins. And those are the wins we talk about, right? USC, Tennessee, and Boise State. Yes, the frustration of Toledo and South Florida and, uh, you know, Hawaii happened. But we had so. I would, I would rather have a couple upsets and then be upset just because we cling on to those amazing overtime wins that BYU had with USC and Tennessee, uh, Tennessee and then Boise State. I would rather win uh, you know, all the games you're supposed to win and then a couple upsets, but that's not where we're at right now. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I think consistency is, is the key word here, and that's something that, that BYU struggled with. And I think that that's something that uh, truly a veteran quarterback and now an upperclassman quarterback, Zach Wilson, hopefully bring. It was interesting. I was looking at the numbers from John Beck and the leap he made from his sophomore year to his junior year. His sophomore year had 2,500 yards passing, and his junior year had 3,700 yards passing. Mm. Uh, and, and so I, I expect Zach Wilson now being an upperclassman to really step into his own. And this is something that, you know, yeah, it's, it's a bummer he can't go through spring ball. And who knows summer workouts where you're trying to get that, uh, you know, continuity with your receivers. Um, I'm interested to see kind of, you know, how they were able to work that out. If they're able to still get together somehow, even given this whole craziness. Um, but I think that's key for him is, is now he's becoming hopefully smarter. He's watching more film and recognize he's got to be smarter on the field, less interceptions, et cetera, let take less sacks and uh, just put his team in a, in a position to win. And, and that's something that, um, you know, he, he struggled with these first couple of years, but, I think most quarterbacks 
moving to that next level as far as moving up a year in, in school, I think they become more mature. They understand the game, slows down a little bit for them, um, and you hopefully start to make better decisions. A note on 04 and 05. So new OC, Robert and I, comes after being the O-line coach at Texas Tech in 05. There's a reason for the big jump. But BYU this last year, and we broke it down last week, David, BYU passed for 3,700 yards this last season. It wasn't all Zach. It was Jaron uh, and Baylor Romney, of course, a little bit of Joe Critchlow there. But BYU passed for enough yards. They just didn't, didn't score enough passing touchdowns. Yeah, and it was the turnovers. And it was, it was not only turnovers, but it was, it was pick sixes. And it was, it was fumbles in our own territory. And so it's cleaned all that up. And, and that's, frankly, what it comes down to between the good and great teams is those that can execute and, and those that take care of the ball. And on the flip side, defensively creating turnovers. And that's something that, frankly, this BYU defense this year, uh, we had good you know, interceptions in, in certain games, but there wasn't consistency on that side of the ball either. You didn't see a lot of forced fumbles, et cetera. So uh, I think it's an all-around all team effort. You've got to set up your offense for short fields, um, and I think that's where the defense can help. But offensively, you can't put your defense in a bind with uh, you know, first down and on the 20, your own 20-yard line, and it's a guaranteed three points. So figure that out. Um, that's going to be obviously on Kalani in this offseason. They've got plenty of downtime right now to, to sort through it all. David Nixon on BYU Sports Nation. Uh, you're a guy that has his eye on talent progressing towards the NFL because you did it. College football analyst Cam Meller, who has been on the show before, rated the top 10 returners for BYU football in 2020. He had Kyrus Tonga at number 10, David. And then I'm going to give you the top four. Matt Bushman at four, James MP3, Zach Wilson number two, and Brady Christensen number one. Who's the top returner for BYU football in your opinion? Listen, it's tough for me to give the number one spot to offensive linemen. I just, uh, as a defensive guy that goes against those guys every day, it's tough too. <laughs> but Brady Christensen, what he did last year in the integral party is a, a part of the offensive line and protecting Zach Wilson. I, I think he, you have to give him the number one spot. Um, Kyrus Tonga, number 10. Listen, I don't disagree in the sense that Kyrus Tonga has got to show that he can play, you know, he, he can be on the field, play in and play out. This is a, this is a guy who you know, would only go one or two series and then take a series or two off or one or two plays and then take a play or two off. And so until he can show that he can be on the field uh, and help out this defense on a consistent basis as well, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't disagree with, with sliding him down there at the 10 spot. I think hopefully Kyrus is getting himself in shape and getting ready for this season because if he wants to go to the next level, he's got to be able to show that he can be a first, second, and oftentimes third down uh, type nose tackle. Uh, and listen, I get it. If, if BYU defense wants to bring in uh, some more speed for that third down and long situations, then so be it. But on third and two, he's got to be in there. He's got to be a, a, a kind of a hole stopper and let those linebackers run free. And so um, he's got to get better shape and be able to play more downs. That's what it comes down to. There are four linebackers in the top 10 as well. Uh, BYU returns basically everybody, which is good news. And I think we expect this to be one of the better groups for BYU. What's your opinion? Yeah. Sorry, I think it's freezing a little bit there. Um, yeah, listen, I, I love this linebacker core, and I, I particularly love uh, Pay Wilgar. And I know they, that uh, he was ranked pretty high here. After seeing what he did his freshman year, I, I think he'll be a huge contributor. I think he can be up there with the guys that you can design a whole defense around him. I mean, this is a kid that's big and long enough to rush on the outside, but also you can move him back and stack him back, and he can roam and, and run sideline to sideline. So I like him. Isaiah Kafusi, this is a guy that's just been steady. I mean, you, you know when Isaiah Kafusi steps on the field what you're going to get from Isaiah. He's not, he's not going to be undisciplined. He's not going to make mistakes. He's going to be where he needs to be, and he's going to make big plays. Um, so he's that steady Eddie, right? 
Uh, I, I like Peyton Wilgar with, with kind of that wild card. And then Chaz Ayu, can he put on more weight? He's got to show that he can be more durable. Uh, he was banged up quite a bit last season. Um, hopefully he can come around. And, uh, you know, I agree. I think there's a lot of playmakers at linebacker spot. Um, I'm excited to see how they all, you know, once again, through an off season, how they develop as well. And, uh, you know, that's a spot when you got Kyra Stone in the middle plugging holes, you should have plenty of guys that could, should be able to run around and make some plays. NFL veteran linebacker and BYU linebacker David Nixon with us on BYU Sports Nation. Uh, what's your reaction to your brother-in-law, Taysom Hill, getting a first-round tender from the New Orleans Saints? Crazy, right? He was the only free agent, a restricted free agent, that got a first-round uh, tender. Of all the guys tendered, he was the only one with the first round. So um, I think it goes to show how much they love him there in New Orleans. And uh, I know they're trying to work out a longer-term deal with him right now. Uh, and that's in the talks. And so uh, who knows that tenor even comes into play. But, you know, it's it's uh, timelines have all been shifted given this craziness going on. So um, I know he's just patiently waiting. They're here in Provo, still working out. He's playing a lot of golf as well, uh, trying to pass the time. But he's excited. I'm excited for him. It's going to be a fun season next year, um, depending on obviously what Drew does after this next season. You know, uh, I think Sean Payton actually let it slip in one of his interviews that he thinks this will be Drew's last season. So, I think that's probably somewhat of the general consensus, uh, maybe kind of a farewell, farewell so long tour for Drew. And then uh, hopefully Taysom's kind of the next guy up. That's, that's kind of the thought process there. Just make sure you give Taysom some uh, good advice on uh, how to balance sports and being a father, okay? Yeah, and, and <laughs> tell him to get a face. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, you know, we all, do, we, all, we all do our gender reveals, I guess baby reveals in this case. We do yeah. a little differently. And, uh, no faces. So yeah, <laughs> it was it was kind of weird at first. I'll be honest. Yeah, I was like, where are the faces? Yeah, oh, you know, switch it up a little bit. They're, no, we're excited for them. They're uh, my, I think my sister Emily mentioned in the post they've they've been trying for a little while now. So we're pretty excited for them that uh, you know that that pregnancy's coming along and um, have a little one. I, we'll Very see. Cool. I, we'll we'll see uh, if he's a football player or not. We'll see. All right, man. Good stuff. Great to catch up with you, and uh, we hope you and your family stay healthy and well. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, guys. Always fun. Take care. David Nixon on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline via Skype. Deseret First, you know why we show how. The Lindbacker. That's fantastic. The Lindbacker. And he played to 09. Who knew? I didn't know that. That was one of our favorite interviews this week. You're listening to the best of BYU Sports Nation. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Bring on our BYUSN Best Play Bracket presented by doTERRA. The eight best plays from the BYU football season against the eight best plays from BYU basketball, all to determine the best play of the athletic calendar year. We started with 16 plays, as you mentioned. Now we're down to the final four, which is exciting. You can vote each day on vote.byutv.org. Polls close at 11 a.m. Eastern each morning. Okay, so in the final four, the first play to move on to the championship matchup for tomorrow's show is this. 50 yards away from field goal territory. A step up by Wilson. Deep man is open! It's cut by Simon! Oh, yeah, He's baby. the 40! The 35-30! You gotta hustle! Line. You gotta hustle! I knew this play would get to the championship game. Uh, it's in the final four now, which is exciting. And surprisingly, uh, it took down TJ Howe's game winner at Houston. I mean, I thought it has to be a great play to take down that shot because that is the iconic shot of the season for BYU basketball. 51% of the vote. Apparently 51% is the key in all of these brackets. It's, it's tight, man. There are no blowouts here. 
Holy no blow- Taysom Hill's career, no blowouts here. Okay, so the top-seeded football play takes down the second-seeded basketball play and moves on where it will face the winner of today's matchup. Yeah, here's today's. Uh, it's an OT semifinal featuring number fives. Derwin Gray, Dr. Gray, the reverend, the pastor, uh, pointed that out. So here we go. The fourth-seeded football play and the capper of BYU's win at Tennessee. Tyson Williams, four-yard push. It felt like 40 yards uh, against Tennessee in double OT to win. Push, 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 push. Get in Come there. on in. Get in there. Yeah. Woo. <laughs> That's live audio in the moment. So Tyson Williams, he gets kind of held up. Yeah, at the four. And then your boy, James, I'm now, I know go, I now go by Jimmy MP. And Tyson Williams sprints around the end zone and he goes to find his family on the other end, which is pretty stinking cool. He's from South Carolina, so not terribly far away compared to Utah, right? So that is play number one. All right. So we could potentially have an all-Tennessee showdown in the championship. Oh, snap. How about that? Unless this other number five and his effort against USC, Diane Gawoliku, can sneak into the championship. Trips to the wide right for Slovis in the gun. He claps the hands, takes a chest high snap. He will throw quickly, batted up and intercepted. Did they get it? If they got it, it's over. It's over. The Cougars picked it off. Yes, today is the battle of the number fives, as you mentioned, Jerem. At Derwin L. Gray on Twitter said, uh, in response to this, number five is a special number. Absolutely. He wore number five at BYU. Listen, if you wear number five, you can't be bad. You have to be awesome. So go to vote.byutv.org to uh, cast your vote and see what the voting is right now. I will go right now and tell you what the voting looks like at the moment. At the moment, and this has been up, uh, you know, just for a little bit now, uh, Tyson Williams up 4% over the Diane Gamalika play. So could we have an all-Tennessee final? This will be up until 11 a.m. Eastern time tomorrow morning. These were the two most exciting wins of the season. Boise State was really fun. Right. But it both was of a, these— It was the Austin Kofensis play and Kyra Stonga pushing him forward that won the game. It wasn't the plays to Matt Bushman, right? Had those been for the win with, like, under a minute to go or something— that, and those were, we just talked about, you rarely have a walk-off football win. Two of them. Both of those. Two of them. Were walk-off football wins. Walk-off was this, was this uh, phrase that came about, what, like 10 years ago or something? I don't remember when we were little saying, oh, that was a walk-off win or whatever. I love that phrase. It's, it's in reference to. See you later. A, it's in reference to baseball, a pitcher walking yeah. off the mound. It's over. In defeat. Yeah. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. The feature of our Deep Blue goes from being the most highly recruited high school player in the country to choosing Duke over BYU and then ends up playing basketball all over the world. Now he's finally at BYU as a coach. Never played for BYU, but now he's coaching the Cougars. Deep Blue featuring BYU basketball assistant coach Chris Burgess, presented by Tim Daly Nissan. We all know Coach Burgess was the number one recruited athlete in all of high school basketball, but he's not even the best athlete in his own family. His wife, Lisa humbles him every single morning at CrossFit. She crushes him. And his daughter, KJ, is one of the top volleyball players in the entire country. And she's still only a sophomore in high school. 
That keeps Coach Burgess humble. I love basketball. Started at a young age, watching my dad play. Well, I didn't play basketball because I was 6'11". I played basketball because I loved the game. And then I became 6'11". You know, I, I just love the flow of the game, the pace of the game, the energy of the game, and the energy of the crowd. That's why I love this game. I've known who Chris is, like many basketball fans and in the sports world, by nature of his great career playing college basketball, professional basketball, and it started as a high school basketball player when he was being recruited as the number one basketball player in America. Out of high school, my final two schools were Duke and uh, BYU. 1995-1996, I was working for the Salt Lake Tribune as a college basketball writer, and I knew that Chris Burgess was a highly acclaimed LDS player out of Irvine, California, and I knew that BYU needed to land him. If they didn't land him, it was going to be a big blow. BYU being coached by uh, Roger Reed, and he recruited me really hard and had a great relationship with him and his staff, and uh, ultimately it chose Duke. So afterward, we were doing interviews with him, and it was me and a, two other reporters. And I waited until those two reporters were done asking Chris all the questions. And then I was right there, and I said, Chris, when you told Roger Reed that you were going to go to Duke, how did it go today? And that's when Chris, to his credit, said the truth that it was very difficult. And Roger was upset, and Roger said that Chris was going to let down 9 million members of the LDS church by choosing Duke. For him to be somehow blamed was never the case, and for him to ever be castigated in our home or with, with my father as the coach, I mean, he has nothing but love and care and, and great concern for Chris. So it's, it was kind of an inter interesting thing for sure. You have to understand BYU is a recruiting disadvantage. It's hard to get kids to want to go to BYU, particularly if you're not LDS. So one of the selling points that Roger had was the fact that this is your church school. Your church school needs you. Look at all the positive publicity because Chris Burgess was a highly acclaimed high school star. And so Roger's thought, and I can see where he's coming from, is you come here, you're going to do wonders for the basketball program, you're going to do wonders for the LDS church. There's just an enormous amount of subtext that people should understand with Chris and the pressure that was put upon Chris, both internally with his own family and externally with a very passionate fan base at BYU who were hoping to see the number one basketball player in America go there. And I think Roger responded just out of his heart and his competitive spirit. And unfortunately for him, it blew up. Being back here at BYU as an assistant coach, coming full circle, there's so much good came out of it. Right? There's a lot of closure with the relationships I now have, not just with Coach Reed, but also with his sons. We now joke about kind of what went down back in 1996. There's so much love between their family that that situation that kind of went on doesn't, even, doesn't bother anyone anymore. We're just, we're just happy with how everything came about. When playing the game of basketball or just in life, there's a lot of adversity. Um, you, you can't make everyone happy. Things didn't work out at Duke that I had hoped. Uh, individually, collectively, they were fantastic. You know, got to go to a Final Four. I've really enjoyed uh, recruiting Chris and having him in our program. Uh, obviously, we were disappointed when he left, but we always maintained a relationship. You know, I had a great career there. I met my wife there at the U. You know, and then being cut by the Suns my rookie year, you know, I was able to... Uh, persevere and go play overseas and, and do well and see the world on, a, on another team and another club paying for my family and I to be out there. 
I don't think I knew what I was getting myself into. I knew that when we got serious in our relationship and I, I knew that he was going to play in one way or another, I knew that we would be traveling at some point. But I didn't know it was going to be all over the world. Obviously, neither did he. Living overseas for 11 straight years, right, 10 months at a time, you get to see see the world. I mean, I saw places from Istanbul to Dubai and Abu Dhabi to Seoul, Korea. In terms of adversity and pushing through it, I'm glad the way my career turned out because I am where I am today, both professionally here as, a, as an assistant coach at BYU, but also with my family. From the beginning of Chris's career, we kind of made a promise to each other that we would stay together. A lot of players overseas don't do that. You know, the guy goes over and does his thing and the wife just stays, raises the kids at home. It's easier. My wife was seven months pregnant with our third child. And we lived in a small city three hours outside Istanbul where my wife ended up giving birth in a small village. I didn't have any pain medication or any of that stuff. So it was painful and it was crazy after the delivery she had to get a tetanus shot because all the equipment was sterile but it all ended up being okay but i was just so furious that they didn't have a baby scale because i wanted to know how much my baby weighed <laughs> and eventually they brought out a bathroom scale and had me stand on the bathroom scale and then they handed me ava and was like okay ooch kilogram <laughs> so we still don't know exactly how much she weighed but each kilogram, that's how much he weighed. Coach Burgess is one of the great uh, up-and-coming coaches in college basketball. He has a great heart and a love of people. You know, that's why he's become such a good family man, and he also has become an outstanding coach. Just somebody that, that, that has a great attitude every day and somebody that you know everyone kind of wants to be around. He's also a really good basketball player still. He can really shoot the ball. He's got a better office than me right now because he made more shots than me. He doesn't forget what it's like to be a player, even as a high schooler. You can ask him what the score was of his, like a random game, and he'll tell you the score and who scored what and this, 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 this. There is not a player in America that will experience anything that Coach Burgess hasn't experienced himself one time or another in his basketball career. And so in that sense, and many others, he's an extraordinary coach, and we're lucky to have him here at BYU. One, two, three. Love it. Burge at BYU. Uh, what a story there, man. And it, he's a tremendous assistant in a few years, uh, if not sooner. He's going to be somewhere else as a head coach. BYU's lucky to have him. BYU's coaching staff is made up, by the way, of members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints that were high-profile players who did not play at BYU. But here they are back at BYU. Mark Pope, Washington, and then Kentucky. Chris Burgess, Duke, and then Utah. Nick Robinson, Stanford. Uh, Cody Figure, not a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, has some tremendous experience, though, at Utah and other places. Yeah, so that's pretty awesome. This is a really good staff. If you look at the great BYU teams, you look at the coaching staff, you go, oh, that was a really good staff, too. That's not a coincidence. It's also the tallest staff in all of America. Absolutely. There's no, yeah, it doesn't work in 2020 style, but Chris Burgess can shoot it. So It's crazy. That's why he has the office he has. Got a 6'10 guy, guy, a 6'11 guy, a 6'6 guy. And Drop, then, and George, then George Mike and Drill for Day. Let's go. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. In the words of the great 
Bobby Boucher from the Waterboy. 62. BYU football <laughs> just above the halfway cut line of major college football. You're going to kick me in the chest? 62. Right 130 teams. BYU three above the middle of the pack. Jerem is BYU's 2020 preseason football power index ranking. Too high, too low, or just right? It's unfortunately just right. The last couple of years. Uh, okay, so post Taysom Hill and Jamal Williams. BYU was 18 and 21. And not a good record, right? And hopefully BYU can get to that 8-plus thing, and then we'll get antsy again and ask why it's not 10, right? And then it goes back down, and we go, well, 8 was actually good. Uh, BYU is this close from being a you know 8- or 9-win team this year, but they're also this close to being a 5-win team. So 62 uh, is probably right, given how BYU fared, 7-6. and six. Played a tough schedule again, uh, the, the front-loaded, right? Uh, we'll break down 2020 here in a second with with the uh, opponents and what it looks like and how it compares to the 2019 finish. But, yeah, I think 60, 62. 62. I think 62 is probably spot on. I, I would prefer that BYU be a top 40 program. Uh, why not top 25? That's not realistic. If BYU can be in the top 40, which is eight plus a year, you're getting 10 every four years. That's where I want BYU to be, top 40. Yeah, it's right on. 62 is totally fair. And I think an achievable goal for BYU, realistic, is to finish right around the top 40. So I'm with you there. Like, Which would be what? Eight wins? Nine wins? Yeah. I think eight wins against this difficult schedule would put BYU right around number 40 in the country. And I, I think I'll that's take it. I'll take eight the wins. next step. Yeah. Okay, After that, then it's BYU finishing ranked in the top 25 for the first time in a decade. Okay? Awesome. Okay, so just take steps. So, yeah, 62 is totally fair. Following a 7-6 and season in which BYU dropped the final two games, 62 is right on the money. If BYU had won eight or nine games last season and not put up just three points at San Diego State, they'd have better analytics. And FPI is based heavily on analytics, what your offense has done, what you're returning, all of that production. Put up three points against San Diego State. Lost the bowl game against Hawaii. So uh, 62 yeah. is where it needs to be. They'd probably be mid-50s had they won one of those two games. Uh, it also tells me that ESPN is about to predict BYU to finish 6-6 six and six in the regular season. If they're 62, yeah. Yeah. They're, about to, they're about to predict BYU to win six games. Get specific, though. 6.3. I, I don't know. I'll let them do that. <laughs> yeah, I'll let them do that. Okay, let's talk about the opponents. Um, so let's, let's walk through what everybody is ranked going into the season. So at Utah, 24. Michigan State, 58. As Arizona State, 41. Minnesota, 20. 20? That's the highest. Utah State, 95. No Jordan Love, you got problems. Missouri, 53. Houston, 45. At Northern Illinois, 102. DeKalb, Boise State, 51. Surprising there. San Diego State, 88. North Alabama, not ranked. FCS. And Stanford, all the way up to 28. Okay. What sticks out about the opponent rank? Well, let's take out the FCS foe, North Alabama, and consider you? the average ranking of all 11 FBS BYU opponents this season. Because at that point, six wins might not seem that bad. Which brings us to our stat of the day. It's the BYU Sports Nation stat of the day. BYU football's 2020 FPI opponent average is 55 in the ranking. So BYU at 62, their average ranking for opponents is seven spots higher than where BYU is. Yeah. 
That loaded schedule, Jared. You love it. I love it. If hey, you don't want to win 10 games. You asked me what surprised me? Uh, yeah, our stat of the day surprised me. That's really tough because in 2019, we all looked at that schedule and thought, oh, Tennessee, USC, Washington, Utah, holy cow, Boise State. That was 62. The average ranking was 62. Yes. 62. Yes. 55. Can I express the following, though? Uh, in 2019... Uh, BYU opened with Utah 14, Tennessee 33. This is how they finished. Uh, USC 23 and Washington 16. Mm. All four were in the top 33. It's the back end that takes that all the way up out to 62. Mm-hmm. But the first four were in the top 33. And BYU somehow won two of those. Wow. There two, were some- both in overtime. Barely got him. Hey, they got him. Which was awesome. Which is why BYU had a winning record. How about that? Uh, Minnesota at number 20 as the highest ranked team. That is a surprise to me. BJ Flag, row the boat, man. That's a surprise to me. Uh, The Pac-12 is going to be, as advertised, challenge BYU, Utah 24, Stanford 28, Arizona State 41. Utah lose everybody on defense. Like, but literally 10 defensive starters they lost. Stanford at 28 is a shocker. Yes. Houston at 45, honestly, to me, is a shocker because Without they De'Ara lose De'Ara King. King. They lose yeah. their quarterback. Yeah. Uh-huh. And they were 4-8 and eight last year. They expect they registered him because they liked who they had coming back. Including De'Ara King, but yeah. now he's not there. With uh, Dana Holgerson in year two at the helm at Houston. 45. So Houston is, you're telling me Houston is better than Boise State at 51? I don't believe that Boise State will finish this low. I believe they will finish a top 40 program, if not top 35. Boise State, what do they do? All they do is win, 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 no matter what. They're really, really good, right? Uh, Missouri's interesting. They're coming off some sanctions, no bowl game. They're um, staggering a little bit. Michigan State at 58 is sneaky. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I know they've struggled. They got a new head coach. Um, but 58th? No, Michigan State's – when they come in, that's going to feel like a top 25. How about this? BYU's four toughest opponents, according to FPI, are the four – are four games all on the road at Minnesota, at Utah, at Stanford, at Arizona State. More, please. No. <laughs> and Houston is the highest-ranked opponent for BYU at Lavelle Edwards Stadium, 45. Higher than Michigan State. Do you think that playing Houston is a tougher game than Michigan State? Like, on paper, you would say no. That's based on the past, right? Oh, no, based Houston on prestige and on totally paper. totally be better than Michigan State. Da, da, da. But, yeah, they, there are a lot of good teams, right? Um, looking at this, so... The first four last year were in the top 35. BYU had five total. In 2020, BYU has three in the top 35 currently. So it's, there's not as many top-heavy, uh, really good teams. Five in the top 50, that's the same as last year. Uh, there were five in the bottom 50 last year, only three in the bottom 50 uh, currently. This is preseason. We'll see how it all shakes out. It never actually shakes out like you think it does. And that can be bad, that can be good, uh, but it is another loaded schedule, and we have football to discuss and something fresh on April 14th, which is wonderful. Yes, it is. I really, really it's like it. It's numerical magic. <laughs> and hopefully BYU is better than 62, because if BYU finishes kind of 7-6 and six again, that's just not good enough. This program needs to take steps forward. On this list of opponents, okay, at 62, BYU would rank number 8 on this list. You're hoping you're... More like fourth, oh. right? If you're going to go eight and four, you want to be fourth or fifth Our- in, in terms of expectations. Is there anyone that thinks BYU is going to win nine games this year? I think we're like, please, eight. That's where we're at.
It's time for the BYU Sports Nation Best Play Bracket presented by doTERRA. We're down to the championship matchup. We took the top eight football plays of last season and matched them up against the top eight basketball plays of last season. Football took over in the Final Four, Jerem, and now it is an all-football final to determine the best play of the year. We had 16 plays. It's down to three. You can go to vote.boitv.org to participate. The polls close at 11 a.m. Eastern each day. That was the case this morning, and then the championship is tomorrow. But let's go. Okay, let's see which play makes it in as the second finalist for our championship match. It will not be an all-BYU-Tennessee final as Diane Gawolaku's game-sealing interception at home against USC takes down Tyson Williams' push in double OT at Tennessee, 62% of the vote. That's convincing. Uh, and what a play by Diane. Both these, as we mentioned, overtime walk-off winners. One on defense, one on offense. Pretty awesome. Now we have our championship match. Jerem, set up the first play. The best play uh, from the football season, in our opinion, the number one overall seed. And we were showing it like every day. I love this. Micah Simon, 64 yards to save the game against Tennessee. 50 yards away from field goal territory. A step up by Wilson. Deep man is open. It's caught by Simon. Oh, yeah, He's baby. the 40. The Come 35, back, 30, 25, 20, 50. You got to hustle. You got to hustle. Yes, yes, you do. You do got to hustle. You got to hustle. Charlie hustle. Let's go. Riley. Riley hustle. Yes, so that's the one seed. This is the championship match, people. Micah Simon against Tennessee. What a play, man. I yeah. love this play. Now, Simon, after uh, getting into the final, awaits what we just talked about. Diane Gonwoloku and his game-sealing interception to walk off in Pro Bowl against USC. Takes a chest high snap. He will throw quickly. Batted up and intercepted. Did they get it? If they got it, it's over. It's over. The Cougars picked it off. Remember that BYU had to settle for a field goal. They're up 30 to 27. So they're one play away from the game ending either way. USC scores a touchdown. USC's walking off from Provo with that victory. Huge interception. Where BYU picks it off. They're walking. Yeah, and it was reviewed. It took a second. Then the recelebration, the storm again. These are two great plays. Can we please get the college football overtime rules into the NFL? Can we please do that? I have many thoughts on this, and now's not the time. Okay. Yeah. Cast your vote. Vote.byutv.org. Are you leaning towards Micah Simon's wild Rocky Top revival play in Knoxville, or is it a play that actually won a game, Jerem? Micah Simons didn't technically win the game. It saved the game for BYU to later win it in double overtime. Gawolikus wins the game. My favorite play from the whole season is the Mike Simon play. I just think it was a miracle. <laughs> when Zach Wilson oh, releases yeah, the ball, there's 17 seconds left in the game. Like, unless they get a chunk play like that, they're going to lose to Tennessee, who lost to Georgia State the week before. What? This is the game BYU had to go win. And they did, and it was in miraculous fashion. Okay, 75% right now going with Gon Woloku. It's early. Overtime interception against you. It's early. It is very early, yes. We'll (laughs) wait until we get around, uh, you know. Both great plays. 600-plus or upwards of 1,000 votes. You mean 60,000 Oh, we're going to get 60,000 on this one? Okay, let's go. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. It's about time we welcome on another NFL hopeful and BYU football alumnus. His name is J.J. Nwigwe. He joins us on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. J.J., welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm doing good. How are y'all doing? 
We're fantastic. Uh, we're very interested to find out how you are preparing for a potential NFL opportunity, albeit in a very strange world situation. Yeah, I mean, I'm just trying my best and to find some of these local gyms that are still open. I'm trying to get a workout in. It's not been trying to go on a bunch of hikes, just hike the Y, maybe Bridalfield Falls, Stewartville Falls. It's kind of multiple things like that. It's trying to keep me in shape. Sounds like you've gotten out there. Those are those are three good spots, right? Yeah, I mean, the Y looks nice, but it's more of a workout. <laughs> <laughs> it is hard, man. It's really hard to get up there. It's it's very underrated. Also, it's Instagram gold, right? All of those? Oh, money. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I feel bad for um, guys like you with no pro day because that's where you could have really shined, right? You did yourself pro day, and we'll break it down. Really impressive stuff. But the guys that are going to be first-rounders, they don't need a pro day, right? They went to the NFL Combine. But guys like you that are trying to get on the radar, that, that yeah. had a nice push at the end of your career, it was, it's a little tougher. So how have you made the best of this situation? Um, I think I'm just trying to stay positive through it all. Um, I mean... Well, all that's going on, I mean, that's kind of out of all, all of our control. So I just trying to keep a good head on my shoulders and just trying to find my best way. I was like, okay, if the pro day's not going to work out, well, what's, what can I do to make sure that my like self-time pro day that I ended up doing was the best as possible? 32 reps on the bench press. You ran a four seven eight forty. Which of your numbers were you most pleased with, JJ? Um. I think I really like the 32 on the bench press. <laughs> of course. That's like the ultimate, uh, you know, uh, flex, literally. Um, did did you feel like 32 was something you could do? Was that something you had done before? Um, no, actually. Um, I was just I was kind of watching the combine and just looking at my strengths. I'm like, well, if I can get over 30 on the bench, I think that kind of put me in a place where I wanted to be as in the scouts wise, like they had like questions about strength or strength or anything. So that was the number I was shooting for just over 30. 32 would have been tied for second at the NFL Conway. Really impressive. You would have had the fastest three cone drill, by the way, 6.85. That shows some of your quickness. Um, what is it that you feel you do really well that a uh, potential NFL team should uh, acknowledge and give you a shot for? Um, I feel like I play uh, really good in the run game, really good at staying styled, and my long arms, really good at creating separation. And my initial get off and out back is uh, really good if uh, any of the NFL teams want to take a chance with me. I feel like I can contribute that to their D-line. J.J. and Wigway with us on BYU Sports Nation. You played a bunch of positions at BYU, offensive lineman, tight end, defensive line. How will moving around at BYU help you as you pursue a professional spot? Um, I think it's nice that since I'm playing D-line now, I played O-line and tight end, so I kind of know on Tennessee, like stances or like sometimes the O-line and tight ends will give off calls to to like, you know, show like where they're going to block and things like that. And me playing D-line, I feel like I kind of have a hit on those so they can help me really at the next level of what's coming. Did you ever have a situation in the game this year where you heard a call like that and you had an advantage because you had played online? Oh, for sure. Do <laughs> you remember a specific game? I remember we were playing Tennessee, and 
Um, they were giving, they were telling us which directions they were going with their zone blocks. So I'm like, okay. Well, the first play, I was like, okay, I heard it, but let me make sure, you know, they actually going to do that. And then they did. I'm like, oh, okay, this is money now. <laughs> <laughs> so what did they say that tipped you off? It was just the direction. I think, I think they were almost really telling us zone left on the line of scrimmage. So they like, said zone left? Right it wasn't really zoned up, but it was pretty much that simple where I was like, are you serious right now? JJ, that's awesome. Taking man. advantage of an SEC offensive line, that's fantastic. I can't help but wonder if you were able to uh, pick apart the Hawaii offensive line, too, because you had two sacks in that game and a half tackle for a loss. So, uh, what was working so well for you in your final game as a BYU Cougar? Um, I just remember going to that game, Coach uh, Tsuyaki uh, um, and Coach Kalani really did a great job game playing Hawaii and um, for our D-line and telling us like how the best way we can get pressure with the three-man front. And it was kind of nice because I think they were like almost 85 and 90% pass. So I can like, kind of like tee off and watch the ball and get a good get off. And so I think that kind of contributes to the, the good game I had. Devin Kafusi has chosen to transfer to the U. Uh, part of his explanation was he wanted to become the best player he could become. So some questions about development of players have, have arisen, right? That's Devin saying what he feels is best for him. How did you feel BYU developed you as a defensive lineman? Um, honestly, I, I have to give the coaches a lot of credit because it's kind of hard taking a guy in. Uh, who hasn't played D-line at all and in the year, getting ready to play a bunch of tough competitive teams like Tennessee, USC, Boise State, and San Diego. And I think they did a really good job of taking me, and they never really, you know, got really upset of, like, sometimes, like, in their head, you know, sometimes you're teaching something and you're like, why aren't you understanding this? Like, they did a great job of, like, Taking the time, slowing it down, make sure I understood it, and I could be the best at where I can and where so many fit. So I really thought they did a great job of development, but you know, everybody learns differently. So, well, if your life weren't busy enough, you're bouncing around positions, playing football. Oh, and you're still going to school, and you're going to graduate uh, in just a few weeks. What will a degree from BYU mean to you? Um, it means a lot. BYU is a great school, and there's networking everywhere. And this whole new degree from BYU, I know, can open a lot of doors for me in the future. Absolutely. What does JJ stand for? So my real name is Jason, and I was named after my grandpa, so I'm a junior. Jason Jr. And then what's the proper pronunciation of your last name? We, we have done our best the last four years, but we want to make sure we want to hear from you. have it. Yeah. No wigwi. No, no wigwi. Yes. Okay. No wigwi. Mark it down, NFL yes, scouts. No wigwi. Um, I'm going to be honest. Jason's a pretty cool name. I kind of want to call you that. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Jason's <laughs> legit. I love that. JJ is excellent as well. I'm a, I'm a JJ, but some people call me JJ. Spencer called me 2J, 2J back in the day. Yeah. Hey, we had a Jason and a Tyson on the same football Jason team. Jason and, and Tyson? That would have been. A, that's a podcast. You guys should start a podcast. <laughs> I'll talk to him about it. <laughs> <laughs> JJ, uh, before we say goodbye. Jason. Uh, sorry, Jason, before we say goodbye, if you were pitching yourself to an NFL team, what would you say to them in terms of how you can help an NFL team and what you bring to them? Um, 
I'm, I would tell them you're getting a guy that's versatile and that's going to give great effort and hustle every play, every down, and it's going to show on practice. And if they really take a chance with me, they're going to get the best uh, player I can be. Jason Nowigny, Nowigwi in his own words. There, there you go. Hey, uh, JJ, it's great to catch up with you, man. We're excited for you as you push forward in your pro football career and can't wait to see what happens. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on the show. You got it. JJ Nowigwi or Jason Nowigwi. I, I love it. He, and he's a great story. He had two sacks in his career. Both were in his last game against Hawaii. We're standing a three-man on, pass rush. We're standing on the sideline going, wow. He's balling out, and I'm looking on BYUCougars.com on my phone. Those are the first two sacks of his career. Uh, so he had bounced around quite a bit, and here he is, a guy that is not a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, comes to BYU, develops, has excellent self-pro day numbers, finishes with two sacks in his last game, is going to walk out with a degree. That's a pretty cool story. Yeah, great to talk to him on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why we show how. I love that he told me a story being from Texas. Uh, he played basketball. He's like, oh, I was terrible, but I, I just would always step back and be like, Jimmer. He's like, that was my first contact with BYU. <laughs> That was most people's first contact with BYU, right? <laughs> it's pretty cool. The best of BYU Sports Nation. We'll be right back. Rise and shout for the trending topics of the week here on the best of BYU Sports Nation. BYU and Utah basketball just announced a four-game series extension. We laid out uh, the years for you. All games scheduled for home venues for the Cougars and Utes. We did watch BYU and Utah play at Vivint Smart Home Arena a few seasons back and got one of the greatest dunks in BYU basketball history. But now all four of the games announced are at the Marriott Center or Huntsman Center in Salt Lake City. Jeremy, my question is, should the BYU-Utah game ever be played at a neutral site and not at the Marriott Center or Huntsman Center? I love games that are in home or opposing gyms. I just think those are the best. The neutral sites take away from the environment. Yet, when BYU played Utah State this year, that was a great environment to have both in the same gym, right? The other team's not sequestered to a corner of the arena. There's something special about being in someone else's gym and winning, right? But I think once every five years would be appropriate to go play up at Vivint Smart Home Arena. Granted, that's semi-away because it's literally a 13-minute drive from the Huntsman Center to Vivint if traffic's bad. It's a 45-minute drive from the Marriott Center. So, one, I'm glad that they extended the series. No-brainer. They hadn't extended it officially. Here we are. There are only two reasons that this series has ever been halted. Uh, World War II and... Uh, Larry Kriskovia. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm glad they're playing. I'm really glad they're playing. I think once every five years, a neutral side game could mix it up. So that's essentially, if you have a red shirt plus four years for some of the guys, that would have been one neutral game, uh, a recruiting period, a signing period, if you will. I don't love the neutral site game if it features BYU and Utah specifically. Now, if BYU is to play Utah State or Weber State because it is a true middle ground between Provo and Logan or Provo and Ogden when you're Dude, talking Brigham about Wildcats, <laughs> I don't mind that. But with BYU and Utah, I think it should be in their home venues. I just, the, the atmosphere, the intensity, it's different. So uh, I th- I'm with you. I think the majority of the games, if not all of them, should be at their home venues. The thing for me now is with quadrants and rankings in place, 
it's easier for a team like Utah to be ranked in the top 75 and for BYU to have a quadrant one opportunity on the road in Salt Lake City compared to a neutral site where Utah would have to be in the top 50. This just gives programs a better opportunity to secure one of those coveted quad one victories, whether it's Utah playing in Pro Bowl or BYU playing in Salt Lake City. Like, I think Utah and BYU... You're right. Neutral's dumb. Should be road every time. Both be- like them. Because of the top 75 thing. And, and Utah, typically, if they have a decent team, will be in the top 75. This year, I believe that ended up quad two, was it? This year for BYU. So it, it, if Utah had been a little bit better, it would have been a quad one. Rylan Jones got hurt, and that kind of affected what they did. But Utah was as good as beating Kentucky this year. That was the high, right? BYU was as good as beating Gonzaga. So uh, Utah in Andy Katz's top 36, by the way, going into next year. Number 34. I think that's uh, a curious decision. Uh, he's anticipating that Utah will be pretty good. Um, I, that's good for – here's the thing. In football, I don't root for the other teams very actively because there's no reward for strength of schedule unless you're competing in the playoff. In basketball – I'm actively hoping that every team BYU plays is quality so that that betters their chances. It's very different. People get weirded out when I'm like, no, 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 strength schedule needs to be tough in basketball. Wait, in football, there's no reward in football for playing a tough strength schedule. So, I, no, I'm with you. Uh, within the course of this conversation, I changed my mind. Just because it'd be fun, yeah, whatever. But the quad one guarantee, well, not guarantee, but it's a guaranteed quad two, uh, barring just a disastrous year for Utah, yeah. to be in Salt Lake. Well, and, and even looking at, the at Huntsman Center. BYU playing Utah State or Weber State, let's say Utah State has a down year and they play at a neutral site, and Utah State comes in at the end of the season at 107 in the power rankings. BYU the needs them to be in the net. Yeah, BYU needs them to be sub-100 for that to be a quad-two loss. Now, right, and, and BYU's not going to play any team in the state neutral anymore. Here's why. There's no Beehive Classic. Why would you play a neutral? It was set up. It wasn't a tournament format. It was kind of fun. I wish, I wish there was a state tournament. I know Jonathan Tavernari is on board with this idea. Um, th- that'd be fun. And, and the point is, BYU beats Utah more often than football, mm-hmm. which is a good thing, which brings us to our stat of the day. It's the BYU Sports Nation stat of the day. BYU's 6-4 and four in the last 10 against Utah, and I'm actually disappointed at that number. Because in basketball, typically, I feel like BYU is in the 7-3 and three range-ish every 10 years. In football, it's one in nine in the last ten. It's just bad. And even that's a doctored stat, right? <laughs> How? Last ten games? One oh, nine? no. Just because they've lost nine in a row. But hey, in the last ten, at least BYU has got one win. Numbers right? are what you want them to be, <laughs> right? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Jerry Palm of CBS Sports, who uh, a couple years ago was on our naughty list, uh, lists BYU as an 11 seed in his latest bracketology heading into next season. Spencer, would you take an 11 seed right now, or would you want to play the season out and see if it can be better? I would take it right now. I love the 11 seed. If you're going to be a double-digit seed in the NCAA tournament, 11 to me is the greatest number because you have, and think about this, Think about teams in the past that have done it, that have made these magical runs. They've been 11 seeds. VCU Let's did talk it. About them. Yes. George Mason did it. Loyola Chicago. Loyola 11? Chicago was an 11 seed. Oh, 11's where it's yeah. at. 11 is where it's at because you're good enough to beat a six, and then who knows what happens in the next round. Three versus 14, you've seen crazier things. You might be matched up against a 14 seed in the second round. If not, you got the momentum. 
beat a three seed. You don't have to face a one seed until the Elite Eight is the point. Mm. Okay, so I love the 11 seed. It's my favorite number, and it would guarantee Aww. that BYU is in the big dance next year. And we're wondering, like, what are the Cougars going to bring back after they lose the three-headed monster of Yoli Childs, Jake Toulson, and TJ Haas? How did we not have a combined name for them, by the way? We've got to figure that out. Okay, yeah. Retroactively, we can do that. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I would take it right now. If BYU is guaranteed a spot in the tournament as an 11 seed. I don't care if they're a playing game jam. They're in the tournament back-to-back years or would have been uh, because they were going to get in as a five or a six seed. Yeah, I'd take yeah. it. How about you? 1986 LSU as well. Went as an 11 seed. So four times an 11 seed's gone. Wow, that's impressive. The final four. Um, from, from a strictly make the tourney standpoint, yeah, I'd take it right now. From a entertainment standpoint, I would want to see this play out because the, it, most of us, at, at the end of the day, we define a season by the end, right? But there's, there's joy in the journey, if you will, is that one like 1995 EFY album <laughs> song had if you if you've heard it you know exactly i think it came on my alexa yesterday (laughs) did it really (laughs) no i was like what (laughs) what uh yeah there's there's fun to be had in the journey right because if you think about the 2020 basketball season here 1920 we what was the joy in the journey the joy was injuries suspensions overcoming maui Overtime disappointment, buzzer beaters. Most epic senior conf- night ever. Yes. It was fun. Like, the ups and downs of that were spectacular. And it was really, really fun. So, yeah, from a, from a strictly make attorney standpoint, absolutely. I'd take an 11. Right now I'd take an 11. Yeah. Because I don't know if BYU is going to make it. I, I'm excited at the prospect of that. BYU is living off the prestige of this season, though. They're not living off of who they will be next year. Because we don't know who they will be. They don't know who they'll be. They're still they're in the mix for some transfers. If you follow on Twitter, you can see certain guys going certain places, some of which are in BYU's league, some of which are not. BYU in the mix for some bigs, some scores. They need those guys for a chance to be in 11. Yeah, and is Mark Pope going to get that key transfer we're all hoping or two. BYU gets? Because we are seeing some notable names that were high up on BYU's list choosing other schools right now. So the challenge is still out there. They're shooting their shot with these guys. Yeah. And, and I want to clarify something, too. I think BYU needs a grad transfer, and then they probably need a impact transfer that will sit a year. Hopefully they don't have to sit a year and they can just play, but I think BYU needs an immediate uh, impact player that's going to score double They need somebody to be injected into the lineup immediately. Yes, yes. If we're talking about creating a tournament team, I think the current roster has the capability, but there's a lot more development that would have to happen than if they don't have the guy we're referring to. Yeah, Alex and it's not Barcelo, a specific guy. Alex Barcelo was that guy, right? He, he was going to have yes. to sit out a year, but yes. then he received his waiver, and he was able to play and, a and starter impact immediately. Who averages double figures, who helps you win a couple games. Yeah, who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? BYU basketball just landed the Utah Gatorade Player of the Year. Jaron went through some of the details. His name is Dallin Hall. He comes from Fremont High School where he averaged over 22 points a game. If you don't like him already, maybe you'll like him after you hear what Mark Pope said about him. And I quote the coach, I've been recruiting Dallin for a long time and we're very excited to get him to Provo. He captured the attention of basketball fans throughout the state 
including Donovan Mitchell with his incredible state title run this year. His vision off-ball screens and ability to read changing defenses are at an elite level already. He used elite, Jerem. He's a great competitor and a physically imposing offensive player who can really score the ball. Cougar fans will be so impressed with Dallin's leadership and Hollywood-caliber charisma. Mm. I can't wait for him to play this fall. Wait. Dallin is scheduled to go on a two-year mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to the Philippines of all places, but who knows when that will open up. I'm interested to see what his career arc is based on the uncertainty of the future with the pandemic. He already has a couple scholarships open. We'll break that down in the next topic, but I'm very excited about Dallin Hall. This was a kid that uh, uh, BYU was certainly in the mix for him, but uh, BYU fended off some other schools. This guy can play. Like, Donovan Mitchell isn't he's, – he's a cool dude, and he's very nice, and he's talking to a lot of people in the community, but he established a relationship with Dallin because Dallin's dope. Dallin Hall is the truth, man. He could be a first-team all-conference kind of guy later. He can do it all. He can shoot threes. He can defend off the bounce. He's had some gnarly dunks. This is an amazing get. And if you're BYU, you oh, well, any college, you always want to get the best player in your state. And that's the case with Dallin Hall, which brings us to our stat of the day. It's the BYU Sports Nation stat of the day. He's the fourth dude that'll be the Gatorade player of the year on the roster. Now, remember, he's not playing this fall, but there are three others on the roster that have that distinction as well currently. Alex Barcelo did it twice in Arizona, Connor Harding in Idaho, and uh, your boy Kobe Lee did as well. So, always good to have the best player in the state. And Dallin Hall can do some really, really nice things. And if... I, I Hopefully this ends soon and life gets back to normal. He goes to the Philippines. We're all good because we need him to get out sooner than later so he can get back for the 22-23 season. I asked some people close to Dallin Hall in his basketball circles to compare him to somebody that BYU fans would know and relate to. And the response I got was Travis Hansen. Ooh, I like that one. Travis Hansen because he has bounce. He has the ability to defend, and he's a dog when it comes to scoring the basketball. He fears so he's nothing. Gonna, he doesn't have to bleach his hair. It's kind of blonde already. I like it. Okay, Travis Hansen. So when I heard that, I got Who's really bir- excited. Who had a birthday yesterday? Yes, he did. Happy birthday, belated, to Travis Hansen. 28 years Is old. Is Travis Hansen part two, Dallin Hall, coming to BYU? Yeah, he, well, is he... Yeah, he he can. This kid can play, dude. I'm very excited. I know BYU made a late push on him too. Uh, won a state championship. I always like guy that wins, right? But the 22-7-7-2, and two, oh, it just pops, right? He can do it all. And there were games where he didn't score a ton, but he was facilitating. There were other games where he'd score thirty or forty, right? So this guy can play. BYU could use him this year. Hundred percent. They need another ball handler, another scorer. But as we just pointed out, he's planning to serve a mission. So what happens with the pandemic? Is there a situation where Dallin Hall could still play for BYU one year and then go on a mission because that's the situation would be better? I don't know. I don't, I really don't know. Yeah. He he got his mission call in high school. Like he totally planned to bounce and leave, right? Pretty wild that he's a three star. This guy feels like a four star. So whatever, who cares about the stars at the end of the day? Um, when Donovan Mitchell we, is coming up to you after the state championship game and saying, hey, props to you, you can ball, and he's tweeting about it. It's yeah, like, uh, he passes the eye test and the actual test of like good numbers against good competition. He's playing at the highest level in Utah, which has good hoops. He's producing, or Utah, rather, producing good hoops in this state.
This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Hear what the coaches, athletes, and experts have to say. Here's another great interview from the week on the best of BYU Sports Nation. BYU baseball senior catcher Abe Valdez joining us via Skype on the Deseret First Credit Union hotline. You've got an incredible story, Abe, so uh, let's dive right into it. I want to start first with the moment you were literally on the field at Miller Park preparing to open conference play of your senior season, and you hear that your season's over. What was that moment like for you? Um, it was pretty rough, I think. Just like, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was rough for everyone, but just kind of like thinking like, oh, like I might have just played my last game like ever in – you know, in college, I don't. I was kind of sad about it, but I think like I, the worst part about everything is just knowing that you're prepared from I don't know what September 6th. I think it was. I started practicing up until that point. You know, you're with your team like every single day for you know I don't even know how many hours a day. So I mean, I think that was just the hard part, just kind of like trying to really get in everything into your head, knowing that you work so hard for something and to get it all taken away, like with no control over it, is just it was just kind of heartbreaking. Then the NCAA comes out and they rule that seniors can return um, if they were in a spring sport. Baseball is a spring sport, of course. So have you made a decision about whether you'd like to return and what's the conversation been like with BYU? Uh, yeah, I decided I'm going to come back. Um, there's a couple reasons. Um, obviously, I want to finish my senior year. and I mean, I'm pretty sure you guys heard about my story with, with Coach Alto. Um, so those are kind of my two big reasons. And plus, I mean, I got to finish my degree and stuff, so... There's a couple of factors that play in, but yeah, I'll be I'll be coming back. Well, that's, oh, great, great, news. News. that's great news. That's great news. We didn't we didn't know until right now. Let's go. And we thought there was a chance, but that's awesome. So yeah, let's dive into your story uh, a bit. So John Altobelli, people know his name because he's he's one of the individuals who died in the the helicopter crash involving Kobe Bryant. You have a connection to him. Tell the people the connection you have to John. Yeah. Um. So me and Coach Alto, I, I didn't know him personally. Um. But when I was at my at my junior college, my school and his school played in the preseason. Um, I think it was twice twice a year that we played them, and you know if we got to playoffs, we usually faced them. They're usually top like three teams in the country. So like the way our brackets are set up is like the worst team would play the like, top team and stuff like that. I mean it's kind of basic, but so yeah. So we we faced them pretty often, and my freshman year I didn't do too well against them, but my sophomore year I ended up playing you know I actually had really really good games against them um and that just turned over so during like the whole recruiting process um I guess coach or coach Herring called coach Alto I was like hey like we're looking for a catcher to come in and kind of make it like make like an impact at our program and someone that can come in you know and coach Alto was like oh like, I don't have anyone but if there's someone you want to go look at or you know kind of see what's up is go look at a guy from Southwestern um, so the next thing I don't, I know one day is I get a coach from my, I get a text from my coach over at Southwestern and he's like, Hey, like BYU is here to watch you practice. And I mean, I don't really think much of, you know, I am in the middle of, we're like tied for first place in conference. So I mean, I'm kind of like focused on trying to practice and get better. And, um, so I mean, we talked to, we talked to coach Henry after practice and like a week later, I think BYU sent me my offer. Um, and I signed my letter of intent. Um, and so that's when I, I asked my coach, I was like, hey, like, can I get his number? I want to text him and like kind of thank him personally, you know. 
And so, yeah, I texted him and um, he was driving at the moment. So he's like, hey, call me. I don't want to text. I'm like, okay, cool. So I called him and it was like a brief phone call, like, you know, two, three minutes, just talked about some stuff. And he was like, hey, yeah, I think you're going to make, um, you're going to have a great time there. I think you're going to, you know, play well and do great things. And I wish you the best. And hopefully we don't have to see you in playoffs because I don't know how to get you out anymore. <laughs> I just, I just kind of laughed about it. And I was like, well, maybe I do. Maybe you're my good luck charge. So I get hit better. <laughs> and he was like he was like yeah man well have fun man oh, good luck the rest of the season and hopefully i get to see you again soon and i'm like hey thanks coach and thanks for the opportunity i really appreciate it and that was that and you know what remember what happened on january i think 26th it was if something like that, I'm, I'm not mistaken and yes so now now here we are and uh, you said he's part of the reason you want to keep playing baseball. And I want to point out, he's he's at a rival school, and you're both competing for a championship. And then he says to the BYU baseball coaches, uh, and I quote, he's a hot-hitting, strong-armed catcher. You definitely want to take a look. Uh, so how, because of what has happened and given the rival scenario, that how has the context of that all uh, influenced your life? Um, immensely. You know, it it gave me the opportunity of a lifetime to be at BYU. Um, you know, I think anytime a coach can go out of his way, I mean, I mean, in, in my opinion, it meant more to me just because like, it's really tough in a situation where like a school is calling you asking for your own players and you go out of your way and you offer someone else that like you're competing against. Like we beat them at their own field. And like, instead of saying all like, you know, he's not good, you know, like any other state, any other catcher in the state, like, he could have been like, you know what, like he didn't beat us, so I'm gonna offer him instead. But like the fact that he offered me, it kind of like speaks volumes, you know. So that's kind of a big reason. Like this year, I kind of wanted to like it was like, I'm like I want to play for Coach Alter. Like I want to you know prove him right that he he made a good decision and stuff. So that's kind of like a little chip in my shoulder that I play with now, just because I mean it's kind of a special thing that I I carry with me in my heart. Absolutely, and uh, emotional when you think about everything that happened, uh, obviously, with him passing away in the uh, helicopter crash. Let's talk about your season this year. I, w- I was impressed that um, you, you, you square up to take a bunt and you get hit in the face, <laughs> and you only miss one game. What in the world? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I don't know about that one. I don't know how smart that was, but, you know, honestly, <laughs> it felt like at first I was, it was kind of weird the way everything happened. Because I remember being at the hospital and I'm just like thinking to myself, like, am I going to be able to play tomorrow? Like, like there's no way my swelling can go down in like 24 hours. So I don't know. But I mean, I just iced. I think I iced for like icing maybe every single hour for like 20, 25 minutes. I'm just like, I'm going to do everything I can to try to play tomorrow. But I mean, obviously that didn't happen. Coaches weren't going to let me play. Yeah, you missed Um, one whole game. After yeah. getting hit almost in the orbital bone, you, you squared a bunt yeah. right and it nicks the bat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so apparently it, it like nicked the bat and then barely hit my helmet and then hit me. Like you can still see my scar right here. Mm. Um, yeah, that's my claim to fame at BYU. Uh, <laughs> <I still laughs> almost broke my face. It required five stitches. It makes you look tougher. Yeah. Um, yep. And uh, you can always just put eye black on it, right? You're just yeah, like, yeah, eye black. Well, Let's I, go. I tried that. I tried that. So when we played at UVU, I, I mean, I had the stitches still on my face. So like, I had to put, I had to play with a bandaid on, and I was like, I don't know how tough I look with just one bandaid on my face. So I was trying to find <laughs> like, I, I'm gonna try to find some eye black. I can just cut like color the eye, color the bandaid and then color my face with eye black, and you know, nothing, no one's gonna know the difference. Just but put like one, no one Pokemon, just like one Pokemon bandaid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was, it was man, but 
it was fun though. I mean, it looked kind of cool on TV, so can't complain. Uh, Abe, obviously moving to Provo, uh, it's a cultural adjustment. And you joked recently that uh, you can grow a full beard in three days, but you can't have a beard at BYU. So how was that adjustment for you? Oh, that was rough. That was that was pretty rough at first. I remember, like, my very, very first day. I came up early last year my, in the fall. I came up, like, I don't know, maybe, like, three weeks early. I kind of just wanted to adjust a little bit. And I remember the first thing I do, I walk into the, into the weight room with Justin and – like no not even a high not anything it was just like, hey man like if you're gonna keep coming here like i need you to start shaving like if i if i have to shave you have to shave too i was like oh man <laughs> and so i'm like well i'm just gonna shave my beard then and then just keep my mustache but i looked i looked a little too mexican for myself i was like, <laughs> I was like man i feel like i'm walking around and i look like a like i have a mexican flag just like like stuck to my forehead so i was like i'm just gonna shave it all off but it was rough. Like I get, I I get really bad like razor burns and stuff. So at first it was kind of hard. To, like I think I went to like seven different types of razors just trying to figure out which one was good for my face. And uh, it was. I still honestly I still don't really like it too much. It, These are real sacrifices. Yeah, and Viva L three, man. Come on, <laughs> wear it, baby. L three all the way. Let's go. I, I'm loving life right now. Though. I I don't have to shave. I can just keep my beard. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's so nice. That's just between us. Abe <laughs> <laughs> hey, Valdez with us on BYU Sports Nation. Uh, well, we're obviously super stoked that you're coming back to play for Mike Little in BYU baseball. What what are the Batcats capable of next season with you back in the lineup? Uh, I mean, I don't know how good of a difference I made this year. I wasn't hitting too good too much to start off, but um, we have a really good team, especially a pitching depth. Um, we have guys that. I just unbelievable. I mean, we have Cy Nielsen, a freshman, um, Justin Sterner. Um, I mean, Bryce Robeson, he came in and was like shut down for us. Jared Lester, of course. So, I mean, I think coming back, we have a really good foundation in terms of what we can do from the pitching staff. I mean, everyone saw how dominant we were, um, at least from the pitching side. I think hitting, we have the potential to be, you know, one of the best hitting teams. I personally think so. I mean, we, in the fall, we hit off each other in inner squads and we're, I mean, lighting each other up. It's like, so, I mean, we know it's there. I think what happens is, like, you have so many freshmen in the lineup, and they've, I mean, they've never, you know, really played in front of fan, so many fans or never really played in that type of environment where everything speeds up. So, like, their at-bats just kind of speed up, and you see, like, their age kind of started to catch up to them. And, I mean, that's kind of just growing, kind of growing into it. I mean, I remember last year I struggled a lot, and people kind of make fun of me and be like, hey, how'd you struggle? Like, every time they put you in, you get a hit. I'm like, I don't know. I really don't know. But, I mean, for them, it's just – I think everyone coming back next year and just kind of – I mean, I think we had a really good chemistry. So, I think just bringing, bringing all the pitchers back, bringing all the players back. I mean, we're, I think we're losing one senior in Ben Weiss. Um, so, I think it's going to be good for us to have be all together again and just kind of build off of – off the strengths that we had this year, but also build off and be able to recognize where we, where, where we could improve on. Abe, great stuff, man. Uh, we're, we're super excited you're coming back to BYU. Great to catch up with you. Stay safe at your family's house in Alabama, and we'll see you back in Provo soon. Sounds good. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. Stay safe over there, too. You got it. Absolutely. Abe Valdez on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why, we show how. He's awesome, man. I've, I've never spoken to Abe. I, that, was, that was fun. We'll be right back with more of the best of BYU Sports Nation. 
The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. All right, on to our own bracket. You know what? Shameless plug for our bracket. It's awesome. 16 plays, 15 matchups, including a massive upset in the first round, an eight seed over a one seed. But now we can crown a champion and a true winner of our BYU Sports Nation best play bracket presented by doTERRA. We started with 16 plays, eight football, eight men's basketball. They've been whittled down to two. It's Micah Simon's 64-yard catch late in regulation against Tennessee against Diane Gonwoloku's interception against USC, the walk-off winner in overtime at home. Now to crown our champion, and with a 60% vote tally, the champion is... 50 yards away from field goal territory. A step up by Wilson. Deep man is open! It's caught by Simon! Oh, yeah, He's going to get down! Got, got a hustle! Got a hustle! Hurry! Got a hustle! Love it. I thought this was the best overall play when we started this. And I thought it'd be in the championship. And here it is, the winner. I, I, just, I, I just, it was a, Micah's miracle. It was a miracle that that play happened. Unbelievable, miraculous fashion of that play. BYU had less than a 1% chance of winning the game when they hiked the football. And they win the game there's, in double overtime. There's 17 seconds left, by the way. And they're standing inside their own, what, 20? They're at the 19 or something? Oh, my God. Love it. Mike what is there. Rocky Top Revival. 64-yard so catch good. at Tennessee. Under 20 seconds to play. BYU wins in double overtime. Congratulations, Micah. You are the winner of the BYU Sports Nation Best Play of the Year bracket. And uh, thanks to everyone for voting. That was fun. We had uh, 4.7 million votes. So that was great. It's an approximate number. So, so, uh, give or take a couple of years. Okay, Jeremy, ready? Top five Tuesday presented by Delta Airlines. Keep climbing. It is the top five Ty Detmer games all time at BYU. There were some great ones. Number five, his unforgettable performance in a loss against Penn State in the 1989 Holiday Bowl. Though the Cougars lost, Ty put up a Holiday Bowl record 576 passing yards. Two touchdowns. BYU lost a shootout 50-39. to Joe Paterno was heard to say he couldn't stop what BYU was doing on offense. Yeah, that was a great Penn State defense, and Paterno said, I had no answer for him. It's a good thing my offense showed up to play. Yeah, moral of the story, give up 38 points, and you win the game. Number four, in 1990, one week after the Miami game against Washington State, BYU was down 22 at halftime. Ty Demmer in Provo. Apparently had enough, leading BYU to score 36 points, a program record in the fourth quarter alone. 36 in the fourth quarter. Denver threw for 448 yards, five touchdowns. BYU storms back to beat the other Cougars from Pullman and keep that magical season alive. I dare say this is the most forgotten great game in BYU history because it's the week after Miami. And didn't BYU score 42 in the second quarter against UMass, breaking that record? Oh, this year? Maybe they did, but does UMass count? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that is a great question. Number three, Ty Demmer's redshirt freshman season in 1988 against Utah. He threw for 358 yards, four touchdowns, no picks to beat Utah 70-31. to But let's back up. BYU was up 49 nothing. had 750 yards of total offense, 70 is the most by any team in a rivalry game, and the combined 101 points 
is also the most. This was one of those games where he thought, wow, this guy's going to be awesome. BYU was dominating so much that Ty asked Lavelle Edwards if he could use the restroom in the second half. He went. We talked about this on the show. Uh, the locker room was locked, so he had to use a public restroom. And he said he, <laughs> it was hard to go to the bathroom because people kept talking to me. He was asked, did you know how good of a game he had? He said, I didn't until I was in the bathroom. And everyone told me how good it was. You imagine full shoulder pads. <laughs> hey, Ty, nice game, buddy. If he had full shoulder pads on, would you notice? That's the question I'd like to ask. <laughs> and number one. Oh, wait, wait, wait. We haven't done number two. Oh, sorry. Number two. At number two. Oh, my bad. All-time classic Excited. featuring two of the best college players at the time, Ty Detmer and another guy named Marshall Falk. Falk had over 200 yards of total offense, four touchdowns. They were crushing BYU. But it wasn't enough. BYU storming back. They rally late behind Detmer's 599 passing yards. Uh, what's 600? Six touchdowns. <laughs> BYU scores 21 on the road in the fourth quarter. They end the game tied at 52, and that tie put BYU and Ty Detmer back into the Holiday Bowl against Iowa. Look at him chuck it 50 yards on a dime, man. Gosh, he was awesome. No fear. The dude had no fear. He took a huge shot. Juicy. Had, had stitches in this game. LA yeah. gear. Oh, I thought we were naming Brands for the 90s. My bad. And the number one performance, the number one game from Ty Detmer. 1990, September 8th, number one Miami. BYU's ranked 16th, by the way. Everyone forgets that. Ty Detmer threw for 406 yards on 38 of 55 and three touchdowns in route to the Heisman later that season. Fun fact, BYU turned over five times in this game. Miami finished second that year. This, to me, and a lot of people, is the greatest win in BYU history. Miami was number one. They finished number two. And literally 200,000 people stormed the field, or so they claim. I indoctrinated my son Jax yesterday to this game oh, and wonderful. Ty Detmer's Heisman campaign. We what watched the segment from the greatest moments in BYU football history. Great on YouTube. Classic voiceover. In September of 1990, a rare hurricane watch was posted for Provo, Utah. <laughs> Ty Detmer and BYU knock off the number one ranked Canes. And yes, this Miami team finished top three in both major polls that season. This is the greatest win in BYU football history, not just Ty Detmer's career. And one of the greatest plays in BYU history as Russell Maryland and another defensive lineman go crashing into each other. What a performance by Ty Demmer. Oh. Uh, by the way, it is April 14th, 14th, so thus the emphasis on number 14, Ty Demmer. Our producers know what they're doing, Yes, man. they do. They're on the ball. Fantastic stuff. Join the conversation 24-7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook using the hashtag BYUSN. The best of BYU Sports Nation rolls on after this. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. BYU football projected to win a whopping 5.4 games according to the newest edition of the ESPN Football Power Index as we approach the 2020 college football season. Now, technically, Jeremy, the Cougars are favored in six games, but my goodness, five to six wins? Jerem, let's go game by game on this BYU schedule discussing win percentages through FPI goggles, starting with the 
Scheduled season opener at Utah, September 3rd. BYU with a 14.3% chance to win in Salt Lake City. That is the lowest percentage they're given of all 12 games. Which is interesting because Utah is not the best team on the schedule. Uh, It looks like Minnesota as of now is that team. We'll see how it all plays out, right? We only have last year's to go off of, but 14%. Okay, Utah loses 10 starters on defense. Yeah, yeah, 10 uh, that was a really good Utah team that kind of sputtered at the end, right? Jake Bentley, uh, former South Carolina quarterback, started 33 games there. He's projected to potentially be the guy. Cameron Rising is in uh, competition for that spot. He was at Texas and has transferred. So that's that's interesting to me in the Utah game. 14% seems kind of low. Oh, the nine-game losing streak! Nine years ago doesn't have anything to do with the 2020 game, but there is a burden for BYU football and winning this game, absolutely. Utah will be good. I don't know that they are 86% chance of beating BYU good this year. They're not going to be as good as they were last year, but they'll be good again. I I put it at maybe like 24%. Can BYU do what they do twice a year now and show up? For this game, like USC and Tennessee and Boise Shock State. Somebody. You know what I mean? Like, BYU's shown up in big games. Last several years, we can all name a several notable BYU wins. Can BYU show up for this game, right, and, and win it and just be like, yeah, streak's over, BYU won, awesome, let's Will go. Will Utah be ranked? Yeah, I, I would think so preseason because it's mainly based on the year before. Okay. Going into the next year. Okay. Game number two, Michigan State in Provo. BYU given a 60% chance to win this game. That's a weird number for Again, me. Again, I feel like it's off by about 10%. I put Utah at 24 and Michigan State down to like 50. Listen, I know Michigan State's coming off of back-to-back seven and six seasons, and Mark D'Antonio's out. So is um, BYU. <laughs> yeah, that, that seven and six a little different, right, in that division. Good gosh, that's really hard. Mel Tucker's the guy. He was an assistant. He was defense coordinator at Alabama. Had a couple years in Colorado. Jump ship suddenly. Goes to Michigan State, which is a better situation, right? 60%. It's really high. And that's the first home game. BYU's 1-0, coming off the win. At you. Oh, that'd be nice. That'll be a huge game at home. I hope this all goes down because I can envision just a massive week two. And regardless of what happens in week one, it's like, okay, Michigan State's here. And that's a return game from 2016 when BYU went up there and won. The next two road games, again, BYU's three of the first four games are on the road against good teams. 28.4% at Arizona State. 15.4% at Minnesota, which I actually agree with that number because Minnesota is the highest-ranked team on BYU's schedule, according to FPI at number 20, and it's the dreaded Week 4 game, Jerem. Yeah, Week 4, uh, four Power 5s in a row, you're asking for trouble, um, no matter if that team's just kind of mediocre or not. You're just banged up a little bit. At Arizona State, feels a little weird. They're coming off 8-5. and five. That's their best season since 2014. No Eno Benjamin at running back. He was a real player for them. But they love their dual-threat quarterback, Jaden Daniels. They really like him. So that'll be interesting. A lot of fans will show up at that one. We know that BYU fans show up in games in Arizona. Yeah, BYU will that'll have awesome. 20,000 fans at that at game. At the Sun Devil Stadium. That'll be uh, sweet, right? At Minnesota's interesting. This just in, Minnesota won't be as good. There's no way they'll be as good. Roll There's, the boat, Jerem! They had their best season in 50 years. They were 11-2. and They're 9-0. and Game day goes there. They sputter to a 2-2 two and two finish. They do beat 12th-ranked Alabama in the bowl game. That was nice. P.J. Fleck has done amazing work there, right? They got off to a 10-0 and start for the first time since 1904. Yeah, be- best season, 11-2 and in 50 years. They will not be as good. The mission president there, by the way, is the current vice president, uh, one of the VPs uh, here, Matthew Richardson of Advancement. So he will be the mission president there. 
So expect a, a great welcome. By I hope the, to uh, see him Minnesota there on Islanders. the scheduled date. Yeah, absolutely. All I, right. I, that'll be a hard one. That'll be a hard one. Now, the first four, BYU projected to go one and three They'll by go two percentages and two. alone. This is what they do. Two and they two. go two and two. If BYU right? goes two and two, again, that would be amazing, which is what BYU did last year. And we said the same thing. Oh, BYU can go two and two in the first four. It'd be incredible. We take it right now. They'll go two and two. BYU comes home and they take on Utah State, a team that's 95th in the FPI and not projected to be great. 73% chance for the Cougars to win that game in Provo. No Jordan Love, so no problem. Followed by Missouri, an SEC school coming to Provo in October with a 51% chance given to BYU. Jordan Love was is going to be like a top 15 pick, maybe top 10, and BYU picked him off three times and rolled Utah State with its second and third string quarterbacks. That wasn't a hard game. Missouri is interesting. SEC team here. This is a return game from 2015 when BYU played neutral at in, Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City. Uh, so here they come back five years later. I can't believe it's been five years already. That's a pick em. Missouri, 6-6 uh, six six last year, year two of a three-year probation, 5% reduction in uh, scholarships. They had a tutor that basically helped 12 people not mm-hmm. do any work. So here they are, a little rattled from that, right? The finish was weird. But it's SEC, and it's in Provo, and that's been rare. There's only been a handful of those games all time. On to Houston, game number seven, as we open up the back half of the season. This one is the biggest head-scratcher to me in terms of percentages. It's a game in Provo, yet BYU is an underdog with just a 40.6% chance to win against a team that's 4-8, and eight, and they are not bringing back their star quarterback, De'Ara King, who transferred. So how does this happen? How is BYU a home dog, 40% against Houston, a group of five team? ESPN FBI must really like what Houston brings back and what they can do. Apparently. Dana, Dana Holgerson's second year. Uh, there are a bunch of Power 5 guys that uh, were redshirting last year. This is, this is a game that's going to be fun because the 2013 game uh, on uh, 9-11 was well, – sorry, 2014 game on 9-11 was a, a fun one for BYU. They won that 33-25. And then, of course, the year before at, uh, in Houston – at uh, is it NRG Stadium, or it's changed since that game, I think, but where the Texans play, that was an epic, a classic Skylar Hardman that BYU played in winning that game late, and uh, Taysom Hill goes 4-17 pass, 100-plus rush. <laughs> it's like the seventh time in college football history that happened. I, yeah, 41% is a weird number on that one. I, I, I feel you on how weird that is. BYU then on the road at Northern Illinois, followed by a road game at Boise State. BYU And getting- Northern Illinois is neutral, by the way. It's semi away. They're That's not right. playing at NIU. They're playing in Chicago. Else. They're playing in Chicago at the home of uh, Chicago's Major League Soccer team, right? Or was it the NWSL team? I can't. Or rem- it, yeah, I can't. I can't remember. It's at a soccer field. It's not in DeKalb, and I worked really hard on figuring out how to say DeKalb. DeKalb and now Illinois. I'm bummed, but I'll say it. Anyway. BYU Northern Illinois. Uh, Northern Illinois. Look at that percentage. Won't about fifty-eight point six percent. Why is that not in the seventies? Now our friend, uh, our BYU Sports Station friend at Art Director BYU, his name's Greg Welch. He tweeted at me and said that feels a lot like the Toledo game last year. And remember, NIU won this game in Provo. In 2018. 7-6. They, they won this game. What was the, what was the defensive lineman's name? Sutton Smith or something oh, that NFL led the guy. country yes. in sacks the year before or something? That, yeah, that's a weird number. Okay. At Boise State, 23.5%. BYU's never won on the blue. Three they losses by one. Never figured out they've been close. 
Yet BYU has a 10% greater chance to win at a place they've never won over Utah at 14%. See, I think those should be similar percentages. I agree with you. Boise State is going to have Hank Bachmeyer coming off the freshman year. Uh, new offensive coordinator, by the way. No David Moa or Curtis Weaver. FPI does not like Boise State. They have the Broncos at number 51. They don't, but I would never doubt Boise State's ability to win at least eight games. Neither would if I. not ten. You know what I mean? A down year for Boise State's eight wins. It really is. They're so good. And it's annoying! I wish BYU could be Boise State in football on a national level. I wish BYU could be Gonzaga in men's hoops, right? Those are the at-our-level aspiring brothers in arms, if you will. Okay, after that, the vengeance match against San Diego State in Provo. BYU put up three points in San Diego in the regular season finale. I hope BYU makes multiple field goals in that one. The Aztecs graduate a ton of seniors. (laughs) Brady Hoke is now the coach for a second time. He's yeah, pulling the, the Gary Anderson tour yeah. for San Diego State. Yeah. They come to Provo. 57%, I think that's low. I think BYU will have their way in Provo against San Diego State. Obviously, North Alabama is not going to be close. 99.3%. My question is, how are they even giving North Alabama a 0.7% chance to win this game? It should be 99.9%. Don't bury the lead. Live on BYU TV, probably. Uh, San Diego State, two things that won't happen. Uh, I don't think BYU's quarterback won't be able to grip the ball. I think he'll be able to grip the ball. Oh, yeah, that, that should make a difference. This last year. Healthy. San Diego State, are they going to have a top 10 defense again? No. I don't. No. That'd be incredible, their, their right? Their cornerbacks are NFL guys that were seniors experienced. They're not going to be what they were last year defensively. Yeah, and you hope BYU isn't what they were offensively in that game either. Stanford, coming off of a 4-8 and eight season, closes out their regular season against BYU on the farm, and the Cougars have a whopping 17.2% chance to win that game. I think that should be higher merely for this fact, Jerem. It's the last game of the regular season for Stanford, and it's not conference. So who knows what they're preparing for if they're looking ahead to the Pac-12 championship game if they have a good season. I just don't think that Stanford will have the urgency that BYU will, knowing that this is another Power 5 team, an opportunity to make a statement. So I'd give BYU a a better chance, like maybe around a 30% chance to win that game. K.J. Costello, the quarterback, transferred. He left. Uh, there, There were several transfers from Stanford. This is the Tanner McKee game, by the way. Remember the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Saints back from a mission in Brazil? Is he the quarterback? Um, you'd, you'd think perhaps not this year. We'll see. But uh, yeah, what situation are they in? Have they won the North? Are they bummed they didn't win the North? It's a non conference game late in the season. Are they fighting for a bowl game? Is BYU fighting for a bowl game at this point? Because FBI seems to think that at this point, BYU is probably six and five going into this game. Man, crazy. Well, or does FBI think that six? BYU's. Five and six going into that game at Stanford because they have BYU winning 5.4 games. You do the math, you round down, five and seven? The, the team to be way better than you think on this is Stanford to me as well. I, I, I think that Stanford easily can be a nine-win team every year, and they had an off year. But Michigan State scares me a little bit. Uh, Boise State number scares me a little bit. Utah, we're just used to losing. Hopefully we get over that complex soon with an actual win. I feel like it's a three-game swing for BYU. Like I feel like worst-case scenario, 5-7. and seven. Best-case scenario, probably 12-0. and 8-4. 8-4 oh. and, four. Oh. Eight and four in the regular season. 8-4 would be dope. Yeah, absolutely. We're we're at the point where eight is the minimum threshold. It's five. It's five to eight. I feel like that's that's the area. Five to eight. What it really is, is make a bowl game, but I don't want to say it out loud. You just said it out loud on national television. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio.
This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. We were going to debut the best to wear it segment today. Mm-hmm. And it was a fashion show. We would come out with clothes and you... No, oh, that's a different idea. Never yeah. mind. My bad. We'll, we'll get to that a little bit yeah, later. That's, sorry, that's in July. In this summer pandemic situation. Yeah. Okay. We were going to debut the best to wear it, best player to ever wear a certain jersey number across any sport that wears a jersey at BYU. But due to the breaking news and the last second win for BYU fans over Dayton... Uh, and Fox College Sports tweeting out a BYU Sports Nation segment. Yep. Yep. Hi. <laughs> it has now brought upon us some angry Dayton tweets. <laughs> I mean, it's too good. We got to read it. Let's go. Here are some of the best responses that we have over the last half hour. Okay, Brian Borodkin. Bor- Borodkin? Mm-hmm. Sorry. So no one is going to talk about Dayton, one-third size of BYU, had around a 20% lead for two days, but when Mitt Romney tells his 2 million followers to vote for BYU, it's considered rallying. <laughs> hey, the BYU alum, Mitt Romney, getting no it done. I no apologies for having a former presidential candidate Listen, in our alumni. Why didn't you, Dayton, why didn't you get your former presidential yeah, candidates who were senators to tweet about it as well? Why didn't you do that? At Jacob underscore wait, Mantle. Wait, someone responded to that and said, you'll be all right. Hang in there. <laughs> At Jacob underscore Mantle. You cannot deny Mitt Romney just won that for BYU basketball. BYU was down 10% last night prior to Romney retweeting. Nicely done, but it hurts. Just like the NCAA canceling March Madness. Really, on that level. The pain is that severe? Here's the thing for Dayton. Listen, BYU fans, we're bummed that the season ended because BYU had an amazing team that was into the top 25 and had just beaten Gonzaga, went to Vegas, unfortunately lost St. Mary's right by one in the semifinal. Dayton was going to be a number one seed and maybe win the national championship. They had Obi Toppin, the top in the national player of the year. Man, if anyone's going to be bummed that March Madness is gone, Dayton Flyers were I, having an amazing I season. I felt awful for Dayton. Yeah. Right along with BYU. They had game day there like two <sighs> weeks before. I mean. They, they could have won the national championship legitimately. Like, yeah. They are. And now, and now BYU is going for a digital poll national championship. It's, and I thought you brought up a great point. You said, what if Jimmer Mania had been canceled by the pandemic? Oh. That's what Dayton just went through. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, more salt coming in, Jerem. From at Brandon, 96732883, who created an account just to vote, seriously. Dayton led the whole three days by 10%, and when people with well over 100,000 followers, or a million, retweet it the last two hours, it's kind of obvious most of them probably don't even care for BYU basketball anyway. Brandon, 96732883, what are you, a robot? Uh, You don't know BYU fans. (laughs) And you don't know the mobs that BYU fans and their ancestors have dealt with for generations. We're, we're flipping salt, that. Salt, yeah. salt, salt, salt yeah. it up. Sorry. It's a Twitter poll. Why, why do you care so much? All right. <laughs> it's going to be okay. They care Says be- the winners. They care because we care. <laughs> that wraps up the best of BYU Sports Nation this week. Tune in next Saturday for the Cougar news you need to hear. And catch the BYU Sports Nation simulcast every day at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific on BYU TV and BYU Radio.